I love Advent season. I love preparing for the coming of the celebration of the coming of our Lord. I love just being together and thinking about all that that means. And I love studying his word during Advent season. Because it's that word that points to him in the most significant and clearest manner. It's that word to which we must turn this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. It's the point to which we have come. We know that last Sunday we started chapter 7 looking at the fact that it is now the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of the Booths. And, and the, many of the Jews went to Jerusalem in order to celebrate that together, in order to be there and to, to surround themselves with uh, uh, the celebration of God's perseverance, a perseverance of them through the wilderness, His preservation of them through the wilderness. They, they would go up there and spend the time celebrating the great provision of God to the children of Israel in the wilderness. What a glorious time that must have been. And Jesus' family is going to go up and do it. And we saw last week that the brother said, Hey, Jesus, go with us, and you can do some miracles there, and the people will see it, and they will rejoice beyond words. I mean, they will, they will see it as they've never seen it before because you've kind of been doing this down here in this obscure area of Galilee, and you really need to go to the center of everything you need to go right into Jerusalem where everybody comes to worship and let them see your power, let them see your glory, let them see what you can do. Do a really big miracle there like you've been doing down here in Galilee. And, and, and Jesus said, no, it's not my time yet. We talked a lot about last week about the importance of time and timing and God's hour and the hour of Christ in that passage. And so, so we, we realize Jesus says, no, it's not my time yet to go. I'm not going to go back up, I'm not going to go up to Jerusalem right now, and the brothers went without him. And then he later, quietly, secretively, if you will, without great fanfare, went on up to the Feast of the Tabernacles where everybody was gathering. Now, I don't think he was trying to be deceptive. I don't think he was trying to, to, to say, no, I'm not going to go. Yes, I will go and, and have those people wondering what in the world's going on here. But, but I really think what he's trying to do is show that his hour has not yet come. It's not time for that triumphal entry. And had he gone in all of his uh, uh, power and gone showing his glory at that time, the people would have surrounded him more than likely and carried him in, if not on the back of a donkey, they would have carried him in on their shoulders like a victorious football coach or something. They would have said, here he is, let's all look at him. And it was not yet time for that triumphal entry because the cross was not yet to come. That's the time. That is so important to Jesus. But he goes up. And in, in verse 14, we find that he has gone, and he's been listening to what's being said around about him. Some are grumbling. Some are saying he's a good man. Others are saying, no, the contrary leads people astray. Nobody was saying this openly. Nobody was saying this out in public because they feared what the religious leaders might do. But they were saying it, and he was hearing this, no doubt. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 14. But when it, was now, when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. He did what many rabbis do. He just he quietly came in. He had some people around him. He didn't make a big fanfare. He just started teaching. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned? 
having never been educated. He's not of the school of Gamaliel. He's not of, of any of the, the great rabbinic schools. He's not, he doesn't have a pedigree. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a PhD after his name. How does he know this? How has he learned this? How has he come so learned when he does not have the formal education? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of my, from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now that's a, just an abrupt statement there. And the Jewish leaders have an answer for it. They say in, in verse 20, said, the, the crowd answered, who, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. That's the craziest thing we ever heard of. You just come in here, we'll let you come in and teach. You must have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them and said, I did one deed, and you all marveled. And he's talking back to the healing of the man that was lame and crippled by the pool of Bethesda. He said, I did one deed, just one, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it was from Moses, but from the fathers. It predated Moses. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, there's several things going on here you got Jesus in the temple teaching, a group of people that have gathered around, not in the, not in the main place of teaching, probably in an outer court or in, in, a, in the outer court of the, of the temple, but, but he's there teaching. And you've got, you've got the rabbis who are recognized, who are understood to be the rabbis of Israel, and they're teaching. And, and all of a sudden, the people are, are garnering over toward Jesus, and, and he, they get over there and they say, well, well, how does this man know all this stuff? doesn't tell us what he's teaching just yet. He'll get to that a little later, but, but we can imagine that he's unfolding some of the truth of God that he came to re reveal, some of the truth about God that he came to reveal, and, and people look at him and say, how do you know this? You're not educated. How do you know this? You're not taught of our men. You're not coming out of our tradition. You're not coming out of the, the schools that would have prepared you for this kind of teaching. How do you know these things? We know who you are. You're, you're the son of Mary and Joseph, that carpenter, down in Nazareth, we know who you are. How do you know these things? How can you teach these things when you have not yet been taught? You have not yet been schooled in the proper educational system of our day. It's a legitimate question. It's a question that you might ask of any number of people who come and want to teach something that you know is a very technical, very difficult, very, uh, very um, deep subject. And, and they come along and they start having all sorts of opinions about it and telling about this and describe, and they're right. And yet you know they don't have a degree in that particular area, and you look at them and you say, how do you know this stuff? Well, Jesus was answered that question. 
How do you know this? How did you figure this out? How did you come to understand this when, when you are just a common man? I've never been to school. Jesus makes an interesting statement in verse 16 when he says, My teaching is not mine, but it is his who has sent me. In other words, my teaching is from the Father. My teaching is from the one who gave Moses his teaching and who gave Abraham his teaching and who goes all the way back. He is the source of all teaching and all knowledge and all understanding. And if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. The first principle I think we see here Jesus talking to us about in this passage is simply this, that, that Jesus makes a point here that honest obedience to God's will is one way to obtain clear spiritual knowledge, a, a real honest commitment to obedience to God's will. I want to do what the one who has called me, the one who has sent me, has sent me to do. That's what Jesus said he did. He said, I came not to do my own will, not to do the will of man, not to do the will of those who want to push me into something, but I came to do the will of God and do it in his timing and do it in his way, and I have come to do that. And I think in our own day, one thing we fail to understand is that unless we have a clear commitment to being obedient to Christ, to being obedient to God, unless we have a clear commitment to saying, Lord, I want to learn from you. I want to know what your word says, and I want to be obedient to that word. I want you to understand. That may be one of the reasons we're sitting around saying, well, I don't understand these spiritual things. I don't understand things that so many other people understand about spiritual matters. It may very well be it's because there's no commitment in your life. There's no commitment in your life to say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you no matter what. We live in a day of conditional obedience, don't we? We live in a day where we, we really want to say to the Lord, I tell you what, Lord, you tell me what the outcome of my obedience will be. You tell me where you're going to take me now, and then I will decide if I want to obey or not. That's how we, that's how we view obedience. Uh, Lord, if, if you're going to call me to go to Africa, then I don't want to obey. I just want to be up front with you. Lord, if you're going to call me to, to look different from those people I work with and, and be somewhat peculiar because of my faith in you, Lord, I want you to know I don't want any part of that. I just want to be a good American Christian. I just want to, I just want to fit in. I want everybody to say, oh, aren't they sweet? Aren't they nice? Aren't they good? Everything's all right. If, if you want anything other than that, Lord, I don't want to be that. I think God's going to open his word and share deep spiritual insight and knowledge with you. If your attitude toward him is, Lord, you show me what you want me to do and I'll make the decision whether I want to obey you or not. No, God is looking for someone. Now, I understand Jesus was God and I understand he's different from us and I understand we can't just say what would Jesus do and he would obey God and we do it. But I want to tell you that one of the things Jesus is showing us here is, is there must be a clear spiritual passion to be obedient to him even before we know what that obedience entails. Jesus said, I know these things because my message is a message from the Father. I know these things because I'm committed to doing His will completely. I'm not going to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles yet. I'm not going to go up there and do a miracle in order for everybody to see this yet. 
because my time is not yet. God's time is not yet. If I were to go now, do a great miracle, have the thrones come around me, carry me into Jerusalem, that would be disobedience to God's will and God's purpose and God's plan. I'm not going to do that. There will come a time. There will come an hour. There will come a point where I say, okay, it's time to get on the donkey and ride into the streets of Jerusalem and have the people singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they bow before me and wave palm leaves before me and declare me to be the king. But that time is not yet. And my desire, my purpose, my, my motivation in life is simply obedience. Obedience to the one who has sent me. So he says, I want you to understand, if, it, if anyone's willing to do his will, he will know that the teaching is true. Same, same way with other religions, you know. We, have, we live in a, a day of pluralistic religions, and, and we live in a day where, where tolerance now has come to be, well, you have to acknowledge all religions are equally true. That's not tolerance, that's acceptance. Tolerance is saying, I give you the right to believe whatever you want to believe. doesn't mean I, I think it's true. You know, it doesn't mean that I believe that, 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 okay, you're all right, everything's fine. Listen, if I love you, I will say, I believe the gospel is the truth, and I want to share it with you. Because I believe if the gospel is true, that you outside of the gospel are doomed for an eternal damnation, eternal hell, apart from the glory of God. And I don't want to see that for you. I love you so much, I want you to know that. It's not loving to say, listen, I don't really believe that you're going to be all right with God, but you know, I don't want to offend you, and so I'm just going to let it go. A lot of people today fail to understand that great truth because they're not willing to say, Lord, I believe your gospel is so true that I will be obedient to it no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes. Jesus said, if you're willing to do his will, if you're willing to submit to him as Lord, if you're willing to say, Lord, whatever you wanted me to do, I will do, I will go, I will teach, I will preach, I will do whatever it is, then he entrusts you with clear spiritual knowledge and understanding from his word. It's not something new. It's not something that I could give you. It's something that would come from an understanding of his word that is clear. The second thing he makes interesting here in verse 18, it has to do with, with today's, I think it's very prevalent of today's church in many cases. He's talking about speaking the truth of God who sent him and being obedient. But in verse 18 he says, but he who speaks from himself is, says what my own opinion is, what I want to say, what I believe to be right of my own intellect. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet, you, yet, yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus says, you know, you've got the law of Moses. God gave the law to Moses. Moses presented to the people. And now through all the rabbinical traditions that have gone, you've got the law of God. And yet you've got the law and you don't keep the law of God. You, you keep it conveniently. 
you keep it when it's an easy thing to do. You keep it when it's prosperous for you. You, you keep it when it, it glorifies you. You keep it when it, when it makes you look good. But it, as a whole, he says to those rabbinical teachers and, and, and those spiritual leaders, you, you've got the law of God. You've got the word of God. God has given it to you. Yet you don't do it. What do you do? You seek to speak from yourself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Second thing I want you to see here that I think Jesus really pointing out to those religious leaders there and to the religious leaders who stand in pulpits across our nation today. In this passage, there is that idea that a self-exalting spirit in proclaimers of the, of, of the Word of God, proclaimers of religion, is entirely opposed to the mind of Christ. Self-exalting, look at me, I have a word from God, I have this knowledge that you've never had, I, and it doesn't come from the word of God, that kind of self-exalting spirit in ministers and preachers is entirely opposed to the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Paul said, let this mind be in you also who was in Christ Jesus. Let the mind of Christ be in you also, who though he existed in the form of God, did not, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and glorified in, but humbled himself taking on, and emptied himself, taking on the form of a man, taking on flesh and blood, and humbling himself and walking among us as a man. God, man, yes, but as a man. He didn't come in and say, okay, folks, I'm God, listen up. He came in serving. He came in ministering. He came in showing the compassion of God and showing the power of God and showing the truth of God and living it out in a humble, humble sort of way. Let this mind be in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. You know, we, we live in a day where preachers exalt themselves through their understanding and their esoteric new teaching, and, and they lead people astray all over the place. That's kind of the idea, the, the, the theme or the title of the sermon this morning, you know, God's doctrine versus man's doctrine. Man's doctrine is, is all messed up. Man's doctrine about God is confused. Man's doctrine about God says, listen, here is a, here's what God's like. God, God is like the, the celestial grandfather. You know, he's just up there and loves everybody and, and just uh, his whole existence is to make you happy and to spoil you as best he can. And so here's all you got to do. You just ask it and he's got to give it to you. You know, that's, that's who God is. God's just his celestial grandfather. Another one comes along and says, no, no, God is actually the celestial traffic cop. You know, he's up there and he says, don't do this, stop speeding, slow down, turn here, go there. You know, it's just, he's just trying to, to mess up all your fun. And, and he's, the, he's the celestial policeman who's overseeing all this. And they say, listen, the, God, the idea is here is if you're not careful, God's going to get you. Isn't that how you view the police? Isn't that why you slow down? Because you know he might get you. 
lot of people view God that way. God, a lot of people view God as just somebody who's, you know, this, this tolerant old man who, who just smiles and says, everything's going to be all right. Man's doctrine is usually confused. Man's doctrine in church is usually man-centered. And, and you'll see this in many churches today where everything is about us. Everything is about me. Everything's about the preacher, or everything's about the, the, the music, or everything's about, you know, what can I get out of it, and, and, and can I feel comfortable, can I feel happy, can I leave? You know, everything's about me. Let's just be man-centered. Let's give five steps to happiness. It's not about the glory of God. It's not about worshiping Him and exalting Him and, and seeing Him high and lifted up and praising Him. It's just about, hey, let's just come together and be made to feel good. That's man's doctrine. That's not God's doctrine. You, you see it, man's doctrine in the view of man themselves. The doctrine of man, not just the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man. And, and that is, you know, basically man's a good, good person. Basically, man is good, and, and, and all we got to do is just kind of encourage that goodness in every man and every woman, and, and, and somehow they will overcome by their own strength, and, and that goodness will just rise up, and, and it'll usually take on the point of saying, oh, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but that, that goodness just kind of rises up, and they're a good person. And it's just because they're around people that are kind of messed up is the reason they, they're bad. See, in the doctrine of God and man compared, where man is made really big and God's made really small. You know, God's really this, this God up there who, who is the great-grandfather and who really wants to make everybody happy, but, you know, he's really hopeless. He's really helpless to do so, and so he's just waiting on man to, to make the right move. So God said, wow, I'm so glad that happened. You know? It's a convolution of doctrine. Jesus said, here's the thing, if you want to know the truth of God, if you want to know the reality of God, you don't find it looking within, you don't find it coming up with your own teaching, you don't find it in looking just to the tradition and saying, oh, that's what I've always believed, so that must be right. You find it by saying, Lord, I want to know your word, I want to seek your word, I want to seek your face, and Lord, I am committed to being obedient to it even before I know what it is. Even part of what it is. Jesus says, listen, don't speak about yourself. He who speaks of himself is just seeking his own glory. I, I told the ninth and 10th grade this morning, we were talking a little bit about this and, and about the church, and we're in the doctrine of the church, and this morning we were just kind of talking about who are we as Grace Baptist Church, and, and I defined it for them and then broke down the definition. And, and I told them, I said, listen, if you're ever in school and you say, they say, where do you go to church? And and, and they say Grace, you say Grace Baptist to them. They say, oh, they say, oh, that's Bill Haynes' church. You correct them immediately. Or if they say, oh, that's Todd Meadows or Scott Gilbert's or Rick Teals or, or, or anybody else's church. You say, no, it's not their church. It's Christ's church. It's not my church. I don't want you. It's not altogether true, but. You know what I'm saying. It's Him that we depend on. It's Him that we look to. It's His glory that we seek. It's His being exalted and high and lifted up. Not me. 
listen, I, I still sing John Newton's original words to Amazing Grace. It's not a wretch like me, it's a worm like me. Self-exhausting ministers are entirely opposite, entirely opposed to the Word of Christ, to the mind of Christ, to the Word of God. And then finally, I think Jesus is saying here, listen, and you ought to also be careful about being too hasty in judgment. Third, third thing, don't, don't be, don't be there, there's a danger in being too hasty in making judgment. That's what these religious leaders were. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, you don't have the credentials. You don't have the right education. You, you're, not, you're, you're not from one of the great teachers in one of the great schools, so you must not be anything. Jesus said, well, watch out for that. Verse 21 said, Jesus answered them and said, I did one deed, and you all marvel. The word marvel there is literally you're all really all tied up in yourself. You're really, you're really, you're really anxious over this. It's really getting next to you. I did one thing. I did one deed. Going back to chapter 5 in the healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda. Let's think about this a minute. Moses has given you circumcision. Now, I'm not going to definition. You don't know what it is. Look it up. He's given you circumcision as a religious, as a religious thing that symbolizes that something spiritual is happening, hopefully. And it's not from Moses, really. It's from the fathers. It went all the way back to Abraham. So it's not really from Moses, but Moses is who you look to. And so he gave it to you. And, and you know what you do? That's, a, that's work. That's surgical work. And yet on the Sabbath, you gladly circumcise a man, and you say, that's okay. And I come along, and there's a man who's been, been, been crippled for years and years and decades, and he's sitting there, and he needs to be made whole, and I speak a word, and I make him whole, and you get all upset. I make a whole man whole. I, I give him full health. You give him a, a promise of maybe something, but, but I make him whole. I make the entire man well on the Sabbath, and, and you want to judge me. Basically, I think he's saying, you need to get your facts straight before you make judgment. He didn't say don't make judgment. We all make judgment. We all look at something and say, is it true or is it false? Is it right or is it wrong? But he's, he's saying here, be sure that you're judging, be sure that you're judging on the right standard. The standard in this case is not the rabbinical interpretation of the law. The, the standard here is not what all the rabbis have said. The standard is what has God said? Why has God given it? And what is God's purpose? And what is God's plan? And are you willing to say, I'm willing to be obedient to God even before I know what the outcome of His plan is? I can imagine some of those rabbis. I can imagine some of those priests. When he said that, huh, the old, who does he think he is, comes to mind. They didn't know who he was. 
They thought he was some itinerant preacher. They thought he was somebody from the backwaters of Nazareth who's come on the scene and just trying to look impressive. They didn't know standing before you is the one who gave that to Moses and to Abraham and the fathers before. They didn't know that he was the one who not only speaks the truth, but who is the truth. They didn't understand that this was God Almighty in flesh standing in their presence. Yes, coming in a little baby manger, but not staying there. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh standing before them. Almighty God. And they look at him and say, who do you think you are? I think he's saying here, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? He says, listen, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. He tells them to judge. He tells us to judge. He he never said just be non-judgmental. I know that's the American value is non-judgmentalness. And we just, you know, judge not that you be not judged. The most misquoted, misunderstood passage in all of Scripture. We don't have time to get into that today. Look it up or come talk to me about it. I'll tell you about it. But, but it, it is because the Scripture always says, what do you mean you're not judging? Of course you're judging. Just be sure you're judging by a righteous standard. Just be sure your standard is God's Word. Just be sure your standard is God's truth. Just be sure your standard is Jesus Christ and not your own preferences. Not your own tradition. Not your own self-understanding and, and, and self-exalting egoism. Be sure your judgment is a righteous judgment based on Christ, based on His Word, and nothing else. You see, I really believe that we're living in a day that's not at all unlike the day that Jesus came. Oh, we don't do all the sacrifices. We don't do all the religious hoops that they jumped through back then. We don't do all those things. But I want you to know They were living captives. They were living as captives to their own tradition. And they weren't open to saying, Lord, what is it out of your truth do you want to build into my life that will be so radical and so life-changing that it makes me a totally different person. Lord, I don't know what it is, but Lord, I want you to know I'm willing to obey it even before I know it. And that's not just for young people, but young people, it is for you. But it's for moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads. It's for those who say, well, I'm retired. I don't have, I, I, I'm not involved anymore. Don't find that in Scripture. find in Scripture that up until the day God says, okay, I'll retire you, a.k.a. take you home to heaven, until that day, I find that we are to have our lives pursuant of the will of God, pursuant of the truth of God, pursuing what He has called us to be in this life. It's getting harder. Biblical Christianity does look more radical than it ever has in any other time in history. 
That's what he's calling us to, folks. He's not calling us to a superficial churchianity. He's not calling us to something that says, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll say Jesus is Savior, but I don't want any Lord business. No, he's not calling us to that. He's calling us to judge with a righteous judgment. And, and that judgment begins not with your neighbor and not with another church, not with another preacher or even this preacher, except for me. That righteous judgment begins in your own life. It does. That, that righteous judgment begins by saying, A, have I trusted Christ? Mm, not, not my religion, not the Baptist church, not Grace Baptist church, uh, and not, not mom and dad's faith. I really trusted Christ. Not my good deeds. Not that I'm giving the angel tree and I'm doing it, but, but have I really trusted Christ and Christ alone? That's where righteous judgment has to begin. And then, if the answer is yes, I have. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to his cross I cling, as the hymn says. Okay, As I'm clinging to that cross for salvation, am I also clinging to that cross for the Christian life? See, the gospel is not just to get you saved. The gospel is to take you through this life and to change your life. And is my, is my desire, is my passion, is my prayer, is my goal, Lord, now I want to be obedient to you no matter what. Am I willing to be obedient when you teach me from your word. That's righteous judgment that has to begin in your heart. Has to begin for me in my heart. Has to begin in my life. We like to judge other people. We like to say, you know, they're not being what God's called them to be. That's not the right question. The right question is, are you being what God has called you to be? Is the gospel changing your life today? Not just a little change the day you trusted him, but today, 20 years after it, 30 years after it, 50 years after it. Is the gospel still permeating your whole being and changing your life? That's the question Jesus wants to answer. Wants an answer from you about. Wants you to answer in your own life. He said, you're seeking to kill me. They said, who's seeking to kill you? Nobody's seeking to kill you. Next week, we're going to see, I find it very, very interesting, that in verse 25, the next verse says, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Something's going on there at the Feast of the Tabernacles. But our question this morning is what's going on in your life? With Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
God's doctrine versus man's doctrine. God's doctrine versus your doctrine. Can you judge rightly today and say, Lord, does my doctrine match up with what your word teaches your doctrine is? Or am I trying to play this religious game where I'm really in control and you're just kind of a good guy to have around, Lord? Am I seeking to control my own thinking, my own beliefs, my own life, my own obedience or lack thereof? And I want to call the shots in my life. Or am I submitting to you so that you can teach me great spiritual truth? I don't know. can't answer that for anybody but me. You can't answer that for anybody but you. But what doctrine has the greatest influence? What doctrine has the greatest influence in your life? Is it his? Or is it something of your own making? Father, we come before you worshiping you. Lord, I pray that individually we come before you submitting to you. But knowing, Lord, that we come before you as a body in corporate worship. Lord, knowing that as a church we desire to submit to you. Teach us your truth. Lead us, O God, in your will because we are pursuing that will. We desire that will above everything else. Father, instruct. Father, change us. Because we've experienced the grace of your love and your power in our lives. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.